basically the theme of everybody on the internet after seeing this episode was, that was great. I really hope they don't fuck it up this time. Oh, no. Oh, no. Welcome to Gurkusatsu, Two Brothers' exploration of tokusatsu shows and associated media. I'm Harry. And I'm Sam. And I want to apologize for the various uh, Facebook and uh, Reddit groups that I kind of spammed our uh, episode to this week. I mean, two weeks ago. Uh, we're on a, like a week and a half lead time for getting these published and pushed out. Uh, yeah, it just seemed appropriate to actually try and advertise and put effort into our show now that we were actually reviewing a current series that people might be interested in uh, listening to conversation about. The goal is for people to listen to this. It, this is a fun show. People should be excited. Like, uh, we're going into Kamen Rider Zero One Episode 3 right now. Uh, that Man Sushi Chef. Wait, is that is that the actual name of the episode? That Man Sushi Chef? The titles of the episodes have been bad, but the episodes themselves have been good. Yes, they've been very good and very, very, very world-building. Like, at the start, uh, we get some very delicious-looking sushi. Some exceptional-looking sushi. Oh, uh, actually, uh, before the start, I should uh, I should point out, I was a bit of a rebel this week. Uh, Harry insisted on not sending me the file for the episode. Well, it's not insisted on, it's that I was busy when you wanted me to do it, and, I mean, and I... <laughs> it's the same site every week. Yes, but Harry, it's it uses BitTorrent, and I have a rule, no BitTorrent on a clean computer. And so I, I do my podcast and my watching on a clean computer. So I need to get the file somehow to me, and if there's going to be a BitTorrent link, uh, I guess the, the abstract is, I'm watching it on different subs this week, because there is a Facebook group uh, that puts on the writer time subs, so, if Harry and I had a slightly different experience this episode, which remains to be seen, both of us are in suspense at this very moment, but if we have had a different experience, uh, it is because we are doing writer time versus overtime. I'm not going to upload the file for you every time because it takes a while to do, so maybe this will be a fun quirk of translation. Yay! Or maybe you could just get BitTorrent on your computer. No, not, not on a clean computer. You don't put BitTorrent. BitTorrent gives direct access to a computer. You don't put it on a computer that you have personal shit on. That's why we have the dirty top. But the dirty top is currently plugged into the TV so the exchange students can watch shit on it. Well, let, let them watch Kamen Rider then. <laughs> like, maybe maybe they can watch... Are, are they from Japan so they don't, wouldn't need the subs? Harry, I'm not here to patronize my exchange students. <laughs> they just look at you and be like, this is for children. They came here for an American experience, which means that we do not acknowledge outside cultures. The, the American way. Exactly. Just feed them pizza and take them shooting guns. So at the start of the episode that we're theoretically covering, <laughs> so a robot is making some sushi. And the actor playing the robot is, uh, oh god, I forgot to look this up, but he's been in a few uh, of these tokusatsu series. Yeah, both the... 
both the robot making the sushi and the sushi chef himself looked very, very familiar to me, Harry. Like Off the top of my head, the robot making sushi guy, he was a main character in Ultraman Mebius. He was kind of like a, a younger guy who was a big fan of Ultraman and New Trivia. And he was also in just a couple, he was in a couple episodes of Kamen Rider Drive where he was a reporter photographer guy. I'm sure he's been in a few other roles. He, he's one of those that guys. What's, what's he been in that I would have seen? I don't know, probably, probably nothing. You haven't seen too much. Well, but what about what about the sushi chef? Because I have absolutely seen that face before. That is a very unique face, Harry. Tetsu Watanabe? Oh, that actually sounds kind of familiar. Uh, he's been in more than 90 films since 1989. Uh, yeah, Tetsu Watanabe. And, uh, he was a voice in Princess Mononoke. I didn't see him in that, Harry. He's just been in lots of Japanese shows and movies. Bah. Anyway, he has... He has, like, the perfect face for just the grumpy Japanese grandpa. Yeah, very jowly and angry. <laughs> yeah, and they, uh, he's the grumpy old guy who's been convinced that he needs a robot working in his restaurant. And one thing I love about Kamen Rider Zero One is that they resolve this whole plotline in one episode, because lots of other series would have dragged this out for two. Well, they resolve this plotline in one episode. I kind of get the impression that they're going to resolve this plotline again and again and again, like 30 more times this series. Well, they'll do it ten times or something when they're still building up the world and stuff for the first... But then there'll be some kind of turn where I'm sure the world will get weird around 12 or 20 episodes. Maybe, but this is like... This episode appears to be like the thesis statement of the entire series just condensed into a single episode. Do human gears have souls? So he's serving up some sushi. Aruto eats in and be like, yeah, we have some tasteful human gears. And the old man immediately says, I don't I don't need a damn robot. Robots are dumb. And then Yua, the female cop from Ames, walks in and says, like, no, you're wrong. Uh, human gears are super valuable. Mm-hmm. And Aruto is, like, shocked that one of the cops is not yelling at his face for once. Because, hey, there's, there's some there's different views here. The detective, she shows the human gear something, which uh, she says makes him... I was a little lost with the uh, thin excuse he was giving for uploading a program into his brain. Well, basically, the thing I think it's kind of the equivalent of showing like a uh, oh, like a QR code. She's she's showing the phone. And it's just creating like a little data link, like when you tap phones together and they can exchange data. She's just mm-hmm. doing that, and she's saying, "Yeah, he's getting my personalized data, and he's gonna use my biometrics to make the perfect sushi that I would like to eat right now." Yes, it is a very uh, it is a very subtle thing that they they call back to later in the episode. We will realize that she was actually uploading a virus into the human gear's head. She was getting a Trojan program into the human gear, but that's later. And Aruto is like, "Yeah, this is something only human gears could do, and they're great at making sushi." She eats it, and she does like it. Yes, even though the head chef is unconvinced, he says that his restaurant will die with him. He does not want automation. He has seen the devastation in the Rust Belt of the United States, and he wants no part of that. Yua says modern life is about living in harmony with technology. It's down to each of us to decide our relationship with technology. And at that moment, those terrorists are using their relationship with technology. These scenes have been skipping between each other, so I'm not doing the exact order. But they had a thing saying, like, yeah, we're still working on Project uh, Magia, not Mad Gear. And I'm a little sad because, like, it's true for the overtime subs as well. They're reverting back more to the explicit Japanese names, possibly because there may be some secret meaning to the words and phrases that people are thinking about. Like, it's conspiracy stuff right now. Like, they're kind of trying to look at syllables and whether or not certain organizations are, like, linked because of minor clues. But as it is, it's just Project Magia, not Project Mad Gear. 
And it's just metsubojinrai.net, not extinctionthunderstrike.net, hyphen or not. It appears that there was no hyphen after all. Uh, Harry, we skipped a very important scene. In a further episode of actually putting effort into the show now, I watched the opening credits. Yeah, you did. You did on the one episode that I was... Did it one episode before I was hoping you would not get something spoiled because I was hiding it from you. (laughs) Fun. Very fun. Yeah, so uh, just general notes on the opening credits of the series. Um, We see the writer, too, just kind of walking around an office with his gun out because the dude has no fucking chill whatsoever. Lots of scenes of buildings being destroyed by human gears. Lots of devastation. We see the former president of the organization uh, featured heavily in the opening credits. Harry, he's fucking alive. Well, there's a thing where it's him, then it kind of fades, and you see the rope, the human gear that was Aruto's dad, and then that fades again, and you see Aruto. So there is like a direct line between the three of them, and it could just be the one we see, but I would not at all be shocked if you're right, and it's his clone or something. Uh, we see the human gear assistant. She is crying, which is both a symbolism of the highest order and most blatant order. Also, pretty clear that she's like sentient she has emotions and feelings and personal inner thoughts and all that which we kind of suspected right like we see a version of her with long hair oh we do yeah she's bleeding blue blood i i mean i spoiled it last episode but they show like the suited versions of the two terrorists Hirobi and Jin. and also we see you know, one other person who we'll get to later also the song is pumping harry yeah it, it's a real banger uh realize i've listened to it a few times on my jocks <laughs> Now back to the episode. Uh, so the terrorist guys, Jin, kind of the playful one who's been going around and actually doing things. Uh, he's been saying, hey, are you sure it's okay to ignore hidden intelligence? Just kill no robots? And Hirobi says, nah, nah, it's fine. Like, we're, we're getting the data we need, and uh, we're still making progress towards reviving the Ark. Which sounds like it may be important. Yeah, they make a point that it seemed to apply to me that they were only targeting human gears that had awakened. Yeah. So... They're only targeting specific Humagears uh, with these abilities, like Humagears that have started to gain sentience or sapience. Uh, so at this point in the episode, there's a nice barber thanking a guy for his patronage, and the guy is very friendly back. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll come again. And he's smiling, and he, he's having a much... So the Humagears have different levels of expression, and, you know, that might just be, like, some of them are acting less hard or whatever. But this one is having, like, a very bright, genuine-seeming smile that's going all the way up to his eyes. Then he kind of, there's a flash on the screen. He's like, huh? That's, I almost felt something. And then he's immediately converted by Jin into one of their uh, killer robots. Oh, murdering of sentient creatures. On a children's show, no less. Yeah. Like, this is, when we take a couple steps back, this is a dark fucking show, isn't it, Harry? Oh, the Kamen Rider series get pretty dark, Sam. Well, this one's starting dark. Yeah, it, it's starting pretty dark. Because I am basically assuming that the whole deal is... Human Gears, they are pretty basic when they're first downloaded, but as time goes on, I think they're getting more and more advanced. It's a Blade Runner scenario, like the Star Wars droid scenario. Like, the more intelligent they get, the more independent they get, the more sapient they are. I mean, depending on the version of canon you go to, after a long enough time, droids get a Force signature. Mm -hmm. Back at the restaurant, the sushi robot is trying to make some nice squid for the chef, and he put in some effort, but... The guy rejects it. He says, nope, this is disgusting. I won't even call it sushi. You know, there's no way a robot can make sushi. They don't even have a heart. Oh, Harry, on your translation, it said robots don't have a heart? Yeah, uh, it was heart on my translation. I, I think It was thought, soul on mine. Yeah, that's... But it's it's basically the same. In no, it's not. Of, yeah, in the thematic way they're talking about, like a human heart, like a soul, that's 
that's that's basically. I mean, they're not talking like anatomically a heart. I don't know. I I much prefer if we're going for the symbolic thing. I'd say I would go with soul. Actually, I might go with spirit if that's what they were going for. Like robots have no spirit. You know what they mean. Like it. People use those interchangeably all the time. Yes, but people are dumb and wrong. All right, we're not having the hot dog sandwich conversation with heart and soul. Like you know what they're talking about. Bah. They're kind of bummed, uh, but then they hear that a Magir is out attacking people in one of those plazas they could film in. Yes, uh, the monster this week is slightly more monstrous than the previous couple, a bit more tentacly. Uh, still fairly human, uh, at least in comparison to some of the previous uh, Kamen Rider series. Well, he's a squid bot. Uh, he's got tentacles and stuff, and it's nice. It's not directly thematic, like at least in fiction, but they are fighting a squid guy when they're talking about sushi, which is pretty fun. Yeah, he was making he was making squid sushi. Fuwa, the loose cannon cop, shows up. He breaks open the little power thing much more easily this time. Probably is he, he going to have to do that every time, Harry? Like, why why doesn't he just leave it open? I think it's getting easier to break after you do it the first time. Like that latch has got to be not working because he does it one handed now. <laughs> and he transforms. He punches the bullet. Uh, Yua shows up and is like, hey, you still do need my authorization. But Fuwa is just yelling, I'm taking out the trash. Shut up and watch me. So he shoots at the squid a little bit. He's pretty ineffective. Uh, then the main character shows up. He transforms, uh, fights the guy. Uh, also quite ineffective. The tentacles get wrapped up around him uh, quite quickly. Uh, this guy is able to subdue it a little. After some fighting, it fires down a big bed of ink to block sight, and runs away in the confusion. Yes, uh, the main character, Common Rider, runs away to detransform. at which point uh, we have yet another police officer on a Common Rider series who feels the need to shoot at fleeing suspects. God damn it! Shoot him in the back. It's the police way. No! I mean, the way it happens, it's played for laughs because uh, Zero One was still wrapped up in tentacles when that happened, and when the guy fires, there's just a ping, pinging noise, and the tentacles fall into view, and you hear him yell, Oh, I'm, I'm free, thanks! Harry, police corruption is not a laughing matter. I mean... This show is nothing if not an indictment to the brutality of the state. Back at the home office, the lower CEO guy, whose name even I haven't learned yet, he was talking earlier that, you know, our CEO is going talking to individual customers. This is dumb. Uh, So if he gets the contract, it's a win for us. But if he loses, we can use that as kind of a embarrassment to maybe make him quit faster. Uh, these guys are not into sales. Like, the CEOs of my company, they go to individual customers all the goddamn time. This is a symbolic one. Like, this would be a big win for the corporation. But if it's a loss, then nothing changes. I, I think if Aruto was actually good at being CEO, he would probably be able to say exactly that. But this guy is just, he's trying to use any excuse to push Aruto into quitting. And so he can hang his big portrait up on the wall. Mm-hmm. Yet again. I forget, did they did they knock his portrait down, or did they just put Aruto's directly in front of it? In in the opening credits, they knock his down, which is pretty funny. <laughs> also, th- there was a good scene when they were talking about it earlier, when the lower CEO guy did an evil laugh, and his subordinate kind of caught on it and started laughing, and then his robot lady also started laughing very robotically. Uh, his robot assassin lady in the red leather. We then jump to a scene in the basement where we have a very explicit conversation between the sushi chef bot and the secretary bot, where the sushi chef asks, can souls become data? I want one downloaded into me. Does this unit have a soul? (laughs) 
Yeah, R2 is just sitting quietly in the corner because Izu made a new upgrade to deal with a squid robot. Hey, toys, you know, that's going to happen. And mm -hmm. just while he's sitting there and not really able to deal with it, the robots are debating whether or not they exist. <laughs> he is wondering if he has a soul. Can he gain a soul? Like, he desperately wants to have a soul. I am incomplete. You know, I need to be installed with, with a heart. And the secretary says, nope, a heart cannot be digitized. And Sushibot looks a little sad. Uh, see, Harry, like, that... I'm almost liking my translation better, because in my version, she turned around and she said, that is impossible, a soul cannot become data. Maybe maybe we'll be going with the right time subs from now on. Like, this is a weird point of comparison. Like, a, this, is, this is an exploration of Tokusam, like, and sometimes you like some people's versions better. You know, I, I think what we should do, Harry, is I should continue to watch Ryder, and you should continue to watch Overtime, because both have their pluses, both have their minuses. I think the jokes are better in Overtime. And the symbolism might be better in Rider time. I don't know. I don't know. Ah, well, we'll see. Yeah, we then jump to Aruto trying to seduce an old sushi chef That's face that has a face that looks like a frog. So he, he's just kind of stumbling around. Uh, part of the thing earlier is that he's looking for an apprentice since he hurt his back, and he doesn't have anybody to kind of continue his legacy. And Aruto comes in and's like, hey, uh, give us another chance. Our robot guy, which does have a name. I think it's Nigiro? Uh, N-I-G-I-R-O. Harry, did you just ask me what someone's name was on this show? No, I was, I was clearly talking to myself. I've learned. Uh, so it's, it's, no, yeah, he's been practicing all morning, and he's been learning. They went into his backstory how all his apprentices have left brokenhearted, and the robot guy says straight up, that can't happen to me. I don't have a heart. <laughs> yeah, the old chef starts to see, like, the benefits of having a robot apprentice, and we see the... Uh, robots like he had been studying videos like mastering the technique and he does the thing where he throws sushi into the air which seems wildly ineffective it's it's pointed out by the characters of the show he has a weird technique where he does like mid-air sushi making and everyone says yeah this, this is dumb it doesn't make sense and the robot says yes uh, i looked at it analyzed it and decided it was dumb and didn't make sense and therefore that's got to be part of the heart you put into your sushi this is part of your technique and he performs it, and he does it perfectly. And the chef bites the sushi, and a single tear rolls down a cheek. And he kind of gruffly says, ah, fine, then do it 10,000 times more and come back. And the robot smiles and says, okay, so 10,000 more times would be good? And the old man can't really come back after that. You really are made of tough stuff. And then he's turned into a fucking Terminator. Well, uh, there's a brief thing where Izu says, like, uh, I don't know why you're smiling, Aruto. The chief seems really upset this is a bad business position. And Naruto says, no, no, people are, are complicated. But yeah, on a nearby rooftop, uh, Jin is talking to his squid buddy and saying, all right, make more friends. And he fires out tentacles and kind of mass converts basic Huma gears into the mook bots. And one of them hits our sushi boy. Oh, it's sad and tragic. He was just debating whether or not he had a soul. Yeah, and this is, this is kind of dialing down that even the basic mooks we see in this series were once like regular robots like this guy was having his own story where he was like learning about how to make good sushi and winning a guy over but now he's just a basic guy who's going to be who's about to be part of a big fight scene yeah not just that but as aruto and his assistant are walking outside aruto's looking distraught and the assistant walks up and says you have to destroy him no he was he was making it through to the chief i i can't destroy him and then yua walks up and she has one of those super toy gun things she says that human gears, you can save their memories. He 
could come back if his uh, personality was copied, because that's all human gears are. They're not but data. Any data can be restored for backup. If it breaks, just get another. They're just tools, and I know how to use them. And she pulls out a transformation thingy. And she becomes a common rider. Common rider Valkyrie. And this is this is definitely the first female common rider I have ever seen. Her little transformation speech is try to outrun this demon to get left in the dust. She is a cheetah themed common uh, rider. She says special artificial intelligence act violations destroying targets. Suit actors. Here's a brief thing about suit actors. Okay. They they get like a little bit famous in these circles because. Because they're suit actors, they're just guys who are good at martial arts. It's a very specialized skill set. And if you get a job one, one series, you'll probably just keep working. In the previous series, Kamen Rider Zio was the last one for a guy who'd been in the he'd been in the business for like decades. Every Kamen Rider for like the past God, I don't know how long, but maybe like twenty years was like one guy, or oh, like wow. he was like a main character in it. <laughs> and pe- people get specific for roles or stuff, and like people liked him and were really sad to see him retire. But then again, like and. A thing that's happening in the series is that we're getting a new batch of suit actors who are, like, young and have been watching these shows for a while. And they are kind of young and a bit more agile. And you can definitely tell, like, this isn't the specific guy, because this is the secondary guy who'd been the understudy of other people for a while. Kamen Rider Valkyrie is super fucking agile. Yeah, yeah. they Not the first speedster Kamen Rider we've seen, but very much, like, yes, this is a Kamen Rider that can really put out a really good fight for TV. Well, the trick is that we've seen lots of speedster common riders. Towards the end of Double, they were like, everybody was a speedster, whatever. Every time they show a speedster, it's just they speed up the footage of, like, a person running until it's, like, a blur. But this person is fighting in real time, but they're jumping around, like, doing spin kicks, ripping people's throats out, doing spins, all while blind, by the way, because that's how these suits work. They can't see out of them. And it's amazing. Have you ever just watched, like, uh, Simone Biles, like, just do tumbling at the Olympics, and you're like, what the fuck? That's a human? There's a great moment where she's taking some fire, and she gets behind a crate, then punches it, and while sliding on the ground, is running and doing shots. It's a very fun dynamic fight. Yeah, this, uh, this Kamen Rider, probably the most badass of the Kamen Riders on the series. It's a strong start. Very strong. Uh, Arto... Uh, the squid, the big squid bot comes over, and he's the protagonist, so he fights the squid bot. He uses his new power, which is a shark power. Fangs that can chomp through concrete. Yes, he whips out his chain axes and just goes to town. It's just a shark suit with a bunch of blades, and a, a fun thing that they're using between the different powers is that he, those, those lasers that were, like, 3D printing the flesh onto the robots, they're just 3D printing blades and weapons in midair as he's fighting, which is a cool way to integrate the tech. <laughs> It's a pretty a pretty straightforward fight. Like, he, you know, his suit was designed specifically to take this guy out. And guess what? It's super effective. It can't time up because he's made a blade, so he wins in like a minute. He's not the he's not the fun part of this episode. Like, it's 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 a good fight. It's just there's more fun stuff going on. Uh, so, off to the side, uh, Fuwa, the other cop, shows up and is transformed, but looks and says, like, oh, there's someone else with all those guns. I'm kind of surprised. Valkyrie does her finishing move, her super meter charged up, or whatever. Mm-hmm. She dashes around and keeps firing bolts into the middle as she's running around dudes, and it creates like a giant energy black hole that sucks them in and destroys them. So she wins, gets the big flashy finisher thing. Like they every time in this show they do a finisher, they have like a freeze frame and like the text on the screen. Then she turns and like in a very sassy pose, detransforms and tells Fua, that's how you use this tech this technology. <laughs> He's slightly miffed. You could have told me there was another one. 
he he's a little shown up. And rightfully so. Jin, the terrorist guy, quietly picks up the little cartridge that the robot left. So the robots are getting destroyed, but I'm pretty sure all the uh, Metsubo Jinrai guys need is the data from where they first convert them. Like, it, I'm, I'm not sure if it even matters once they start, like, killing people. So they, they just need the tech to awaken the Ark, whatever that is. Well, I mean, they seem to like it when they fight for extended periods of time and create little minions. So probably the longer they have to process with this, you know, new program, the more data they get, something like that. Or, like, they get... They get big boosts of data from the Awakened Dudes, but they still get, like, little snippets of data from basic guys. We go back to the sushi, uh, restaurant. So they did get a new one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a replacement, like, exact same actor and everything, just like... But he is acting a little different, because by the end, the previous robot had, like, a bit more expression and was engaging with the guy more, but this one is starting out kind of at the basic level. And, uh, it, it even... So the hologram thing's on the sides of its head... Uh, it's showing a new driver uh, symbol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in, in Japan, when you first get a car, you're supposed to hang a little symbol in your windows to show, like, hey, I'm an idiot who doesn't know how to drive, you know, uh, be be nice around me for a while. I would just leave that on my car. Yeah, we, we would probably do that. The guy is, he's kind of pleased, you know, because now he gets to teach him up from the ground floor. And he he realized during the fight, hey, yeah, you can just treat human gears how you want. Like, you, it's up to you to determine how you interact with them and... You, Aruto, you think they're people, and you think they're tools. You know what? I'll, I'll just, I'll have him be my apprentice. Aruto, he sees he sees the chef interacting with the new robot. He kind of has just a long off expression, and he says to his assistant, Am I the only one who can see that Humagears have hearts? He convinced the chef to change his mind. You know, you, you guys seem kind of human. I get where he's coming from. I do feel the need to point out that human beings can kind of bond with literally anything. Like, you know, we have people online all the time who cry when their Roombas get hurt. Yeah, the, the lady whose Roomba was getting scared by thunder. <laughs> and then, then we cut back to uh, a scene where uh, we see that the female detective, whose name I really need to learn. Yua. Yeah, we see the confirmation that she planted a spy program in the former chef. And so she was able to look through the guy's eyes as he was underground at the company headquarters where they were creating new common Rider tech and talking about their plans. She's immediately figured out the main character's obvious secret. And she reports all this to her mysterious supervisor. Yes, who was cloaked in shadows at the moment. And Harry, was there a chessboard in front of him or did I just imagine that? There was absolutely a chessboard he was doing some real on-point symbolism for. Like, oh, the Ark can still be restored. And Hedon's president holds the key. Mm-hmm. Who was this mysterious man that I definitely have seen? I definitely haven't seen magazine scans of his uh, his transformed mode. <laughs> uh, wonderful. So how many how many common riders? Like so, if both the terrorists are going to have common rider suits, if this guy's going to have a common, we're up to a half dozen common riders again. Yeah, I mean, you started with double, uh, which had two. Yeah, <laughs> and then one of the movie. Uh, I guess there was, like, another one in the other movie that was uh, Skull. But anyway, uh, some other series have a lot. Like, this is more like Gaim, which had... We're currently up to six in Gaim, I believe. Or seven. We're up to seven in Gaim. Yeah, so, I mean, more common... Some series have a lot more common writers. Uh, as, as the show's gone... As the series have gone on, uh, they've been doing more and more. Which, I don't think it's a terrible thing. Like, I'm a big fan of Kuga. It's a... It's a great storytelling experience with kind of like a single story about like a single guy, but it 
if you have more people to bounce around to the plot, I, I think it's generally a good thing. Hey, I am a fan of a solid ensemble cast. Also, it's it's nice that I'm finally seeing like a female common writer. It's kind of strange that we've watched several series and this has yet to come up. Yeah. Speaking of which, let's go to our extra coverage for the segment uh, where I talk to you about the history of common writers. Uh, is this going to be bad, Harry? Uh, well, let's start. So, Common Rider started in 1971. Okay. Uh, first one that shows up is under the debatable page, uh, Human Wave Tackle, uh, from Common Rider Stronger, 1975. Okay, so four years in, we get our first maybe. Uh, then there was a, there was like the big gap where like Common Rider was kind of canceled, it didn't come back for a while. Uh, but then it was in Agito, the series after, so, uh, Tackle, by the way, the story is, uh, she was a big part of the series, she was kind of the sidekick and almost the equal of Kamen Rider Stronger. But at towards the end of the series, she did sacrifice herself and, you know, to save the world. So she did die in that. I see. Then next, let's go to Kamen Rider Akito. Uh, so for that, under Debatable, is you, is uh, the sister of the main character, who before the series started, got superpowers, uh, went crazy and killed herself. Okay. Wait a uh, minute. Uh, Harry, I'm, That's a, I'm noticing a trend. The next one is Alternative Zero. She is from... She is a character in Kamen Rider Ryuki. Who, and she wasn't actually a Kamen Rider. She was only in the toys for that. Okay. Also in Ryuki... Uh, oh, no, no. Well, also in Ryuki was Kamen Rider Femme. Only showed up in the movies. Mm-hmm. Kamen Rider Hibiki, which was a series that had huge production troubles and was like kind of changed halfway through. There were two common room. There were two people who are on the main page of a list of female writers. Akira Amagi, or Amami, who was an apprentice to one of the kind of common writers in that series. So that series had like a bunch of different common writers who were like monster hunters. She was an apprentice through the whole series, transformed once under strange circumstances, and eventually decided to not be a common writer. Jesus. There was common writer Shuki, who was evil and died. I mean, there's there's no shame in, like, dying if you're a good, solid villain. Like, was she at least a good, effective villain? I don't know. Like, she wanted to fight the monsters, but did it too angry and then died. All right, anyway, next. Kamen Rider Lark, who died. Uh, She was in in Blade, and she only showed up in, like, some of the after movies. Uh, So then skipping from Blade to Kamen Rider Mage, which I think that's, like, a 10-year gap, by the way. Mayu, who was, who, and I watched, I watched Kamen Rider Wizard, remember, a lot of it. She kind of became a common writer in, like, the last five episodes of the show. Kind of. She didn't die, but she didn't really matter to the plot. Okay. Uh, Next is common writer Gaim, which I'm gonna skip past for reasons, but uh, I'll say when I talk about when I was selling you and Gaim, notice one of the things I didn't say was they got great female representation in this show. Yeah, it would seem like, uh, so far into Gaim, like, the only thing I know about the female lead is that she dies and turns into a time ghost. Yeah, then there was uh, Kamen Rider Ghost, which was Kamen Rider Dark Necron P. Uh, so in that series, there was like a royal family of weird ghost people from another dimension, some of which were good, some of which were evil. Then there's also Lady, who was seemed important to the plot. She was talking to people for a while. She got to transform it in one episode and was immediately beaten, and then the show ended. Great. Then Kamen Rider x Again, we might cover it, but just imagine as a spoiler for the coverage of that show, a teacher writing in the margins, like, on the grading schoolwork. I know you can do better. <laughs> uh, in Kamen Rider Zio, there was a character, Sukiyomi, who, through the 51 episodes of the show, kind of tried to be important. And the last episode, uh, she transformed into a Kamen Rider, got a single hit on the main enemy, and was killed. 
Then time was around and she wasn't a common writer anymore. <laughs> so that's common writers in uh in the whole franchise. Uh, do you know it's a theme, Sam? What yeah. what are the two things a female can be in common writer? Uh useless or dead? You got it in one. Well, this uh this common writer so far seems to be the most competent and effective person in the series, so um R.I.P.? I'm hoping they get it right this time. It's a little bit like X-Aid, and where they're introducing a bunch of heroic common writers with very different views and kind of goals and stuff at the start. And if she's a bit like the character I would equate to her, her to in that, then that'd be good. I just really hope they don't kill her. Or make her useless. Or both. They, they do both sometimes. She, she, she's a main character, and they're gonna have 50 episodes. We can give them a few episodes where she's useless because there's a few episodes where everyone's going to be useless. Like, everyone has their low points. Yeah, she can have, like, an arc where she's messed up for a bit, but it's just, like, I think a main thing that's going to be happening with her is that she's a technical advisor. She's actually looked up the stats for this technology and stuff. Like, she knows how to use it, as opposed to Fuwa, who, like, literally is not supposed to be doing it, and Aruto, who just, who maybe got information downloaded into his brain, but still learning. So, I suspect the other guys will, like, catch up a little bit, and obviously R2 is the main character, so he's going to be the best, but, you know, even if she's third string, if she's a good third string, I'd be fine with that. We kind of got the trinity. Like, you know, we have the the hopeful, we have the angry, and then we have the meh. We have the paragon, we have the renegade, and we have the... The gray. The synthesis option? Yeah. So, we we have the triumvirate. Just, just keep the three points strong, and we're good. Uh, so, lots of unanswered questions, lots of uh, potential in that show. But we're covering another one now, and it's very much towards the end of its run. Like, Go Kaiger. They are wrapping up some threads here. Uh, Pirates sent to Go Kaiger. Let's start with episode 47 The Depths of Betrayal. Harry, should we break these episodes apart? Like, they're straight up, like, one into the other. This is like a 44 minute uh, single episode. I mean, it, it'd be good to mention when the episode break is because it comes at a very climactic moment. Yeah, fair enough. So, as we start, the Go Kaijers are sitting around because they realize, hey, all the, ultimate ca- all the ultimate powers have been accounted for. We have. 29, and Basco has 5. So the only thing left to get the ultimate treasure in the universe is to find him and kill him. Like, they're they're calling back. Like, they're strategizing. They're they're being smart. Doc is saying, hey, we probably shouldn't fight him on foot because he's really dangerous there. Uh, we should just use our mechs because our ultimate powers tie into the mechs. And, you know, we can deal with them that way. Uh, I'm suggest calling him up and uh, seeing what he wants, uh, like, in exchange or just to kind of feel him out. He wants the ultimate powers that he have, and he's likely searching for us as well. So if we call him, we may be able to lure him in his ship out. Marvel just pulls out his phone and calls him, and he picks up. Yoo-hoo, Marv. Glad to hear from you. <laughs> uh, Marvelous suggests that they duel tomorrow in an unspecified battleground. Yeah, he, he asks his crew, like, hey, uh, you want to do it tomorrow? I don't know. And Marvel says, oh, no, that, that's boring. Since he wants to call me, let's do it right now. And the ship starts rocking from explosions. Because Basco is the best. He was laying a trap. In this show, if the main characters are very genre-savvy, he is exactly as genre-savvy. They look out the window and they see uh, Basco. He's firing at them. Sally, his armored his armored monkey friend, 
uh, summons his last two droid things. A gold droid and a sun droid. So they have an early Megazord fight. Harry, yay! Early Megazord fight! Yeah, there's no Megazord fight in this, the next episode. In fact, like, I, without getting too much into it, the last major climactic Megazord fight was the Damaris one. Like, even the show at this point realizes, hey, the on-foot stuff is more important. Interesting. I think every episode this this series that has had an early Megazord fight, I have loved the episode. Oh yeah, you could you know how it's going to be good. They do some special attacks. They they bind his robots together with magic. They they summon a uh, cop car with Gatling guns. They put all their stuff together. And Basco starts musing to himself. Maybe I let them gather too many ultimate powers. Ugh. Those are the last droids I had, and I can't exactly call for backup from Zangiac, because I betrayed them in a hugely egregious manner. Mm-hmm. Hey, Sally, I got an idea. So they finish the Megazord fight, and uh, the rangers jump down to deal with Basco, at which point Basco says, Well, I don't need you anymore, Sally. Those were the last monsters you were holding, so bang, 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 she is shot. I can't justify your banana budget anymore. And Sally's just lying on the ground, mortally wounded. And Vasco just leaves. Uh, the team kind of, like, goes around Sally, their foe, for the previous... When did Vasco show up? Like, 30 episodes ago? He showed up in episode 15. And this is episode 47. So, yeah, 32 eps. Nice. Yeah, they are They are torn. And they are good people. So they realize, hey, there is a hurt person here. We should patch him up. Like, they're taking him up. Uh, Joe leads into Marvelous and says, Hey, boyfriend, this is... This is obviously a trap. Uh, they, they do some stuff. They they talk to the monkey. Uh, they're like, yeah, how could you betray your friend like this? This Even under whatever for circumstances, you know, this is terrible. They're give, giving Sally some food. And then they have the crow's nest of... So it's... They're doing lots of cool character work because Marvelous, when he saw this, he kept having flashbacks to when Basco betrayed him in Akared. Also, when he was beat up on the pirate ship and Basco kind of helped patch him up. They, they had a real history. And he's up on the crow's nest specifically without his captain's jacket. And Joe has to kind of, he brings it up and lays it next to him. This is obviously a trap. And Marvel says, I know, but even if Basco betraying that monkey is a trap, I figure he's going to betray her for real sooner or later. Don't worry, I'm not making her part of the crew. Once she's healed, she's off the ship. It's a really nice character moment. It's like... Marvelous, he knows that this is not the smart play, that there is more going on here, but he still can't do anything about it because that's just who he is. And that's that's why Joe loves him. Joe he talks about it. He says, like, hey, an ex Zangiac, a female thief, an engineer who can barely fight, a princess, and an earthling who was just passing by. After the portrayal you went through, it's impressive you put this group together. <laughs> you liked this next moment. Joe says, do what you must, and... I swear to God, he's leading in to kiss Marvelous. But he remembers, oh, it's a kid's show. They're they're stricter about this, whatever. Mm-hmm. He, he pats him on the back. There is a lead. There is 100% a lead. Harry, you saw the lead, right? I saw the lead. We all saw the lead. <laughs> we jumped down to Basco. He is in the forest of uh, Toku fighting. And he is uh, reminiscing about the fake betrayal. Hey, Sally, get into their ship. And steal their treasure chest. And he, like, mouths out the word treasure chest, because Sally is like, I'm, it's unclear how intelligent Sally is. But, uh, hey, you do that, and we'll get the greatest treasure in the universe, and you'll get all the bananas you can eat. Look, because we're friends, like, you even get this lucky necklace, because you know I because you know I like you. It's later, Sally is alone in the 
in the main room of, of the galleon and sees the treasure chest and starts going towards it. But she is torn! Like, she immediately flashes back to the crew, treating her nicely, patching up her wounds, giving her food, and just generally being nice, lovely people. They're dealing with abusive relationship stuff. Like, Basco makes it clear later, like, Sally's been trained to do to just enjoy obeying me. And it's kind of fighting her right now because realized, like, hey, people can just be nice to me. Like, Sally does eventually pick up the treasure chest and then go to the forest to meet with Basco. But she is, she is torn up about it. Even on the last couple steps when she's a little bit away from Basco and says, like, oh, my, my treasure chest. Yes, bring it over. There's a voice calls out. You sure? You sure about that, Sally? It turns around and the team is there. They followed Sally. Like, they realize... Everyone's so genre savvy, they know exactly what's going on. Yeah, like, uh, we, we knew you were planning this, but Basco, you really overdid it. If we hadn't given Sally medical attention right then, she would have died. And Basco just shrugs and says, if I didn't do it like that, you wouldn't have let her aboard, would you? And so they do a taming of the shrew, like, they're both calling to Sally, seeing which way she goes. I'm says, like, hurting a friend like that is unforgivable. And Basco just says, it's amazing how little I care. Oh, Basco, you bastard. And the the music is real kind of sad and contemplative <laughs> during this whole bit. And they say, like, Sally, you know, this isn't happiness. The, if you just look for it, you can find something less wretched. So Sally decides to join with the crew and turn on Basco, at which point Basco shrugs, smiles, and says, just according to plan, and he blows up Sally. It's a great moment because it's being genre savvy. The Gokaijers knew what was going on. But Basco saw this happening, too. He said, like, ugh. After betraying all those people, did you really think I'd trust a monkey? You did a smashing job, Sally. You got them away from the galleon, and now it can take down the most dangerous Marv as easy as pie. He presses a button, and the necklace Sally is wearing starts beeping. He put a bomb on her neck to take into the Gokhydra galleon. Specifically, specifically to take out Marvelous, the only person who he felt was a threat. He knew exactly this heroic scene was going to happen. Like, there would be the confrontation. Like, Sally would end up standing right next to the heroes. And just for that, he put a bomb on her neck. Well, I mean, he was playing the odds. Like, we saw when he was alone in the forest, he was kind of uh, laughing to himself. I wonder how this is going to play out. So it's like, he, if Sally had joined him and fought the Gokaiger, then, you know, it would be Basco and Sally versus the Gokaiger. But if not, then he managed to still take out the most dangerous enemy. Marvelous basically has just enough time to scream before the explosion happens, and he is down. And Sally is gone. It's a kid's show, they can't linger on it, but if you look around, you can see little bits of Sally's armor around the ground they're on. Yeah, she's more or less atomized. <laughs> and uh, Marv completely down, so the rest of the team transforms and fights Basco. And it's rough, because they're doing their best, they're fighting really hard, they're using a bunch of powers, but Basco is just, his. he's got the speed powers, and he just very calmly fights them, he looks for an opportunity, he gets one alone, and he takes them out, just over and over. Uh, by the way, Harry, you never mentioned that there was, like, a time reversal Power Ranger? Like, there's a straight-up fucking, like, Nick Cage next ranger? I mean, that's just the minor power of Die Ranger, like, that was just Die Ranger Yellow. That's a minor power, Harry? That's a god-tier power. I mean, it, does, it doesn't save him. It doesn't save Luca. <sighs> they do lots more attacks. They transform into Hurricaner and do, like, a finishing move where, like, they kind of in-shadow attack the enemy. But Basco has seen this enough that he he blocks them mid-kind-of-CG finisher thing, which is almost impossible. 
Yeah, so all the rangers, they are down. Basco is triumphant, and we have a dark ending to this first episode of this two-parter. He walks up onto the galleon where a Navi has been freaking out because radio silence happened. He says, hey, Navi, been a while. Smacks her to the ground, says, ah, I've got it all. The ultimate powers, the range of keys, the Gokai galleon, and Navi. The greatest treasure in the universe is mine. And there's a, just a final shot of them lying on the ground. Mm-hmm. And then the super cheery Ed theme song kicks in. Super Sentai. Yeah, a little bit of total whiplash there. Yeah, we jump back to the Sentai. They're still alive in the forest. Like, gotta say, for being a bastard, like, he likes to leave a lot of enemies behind him. To really sell this whole thing, there needed to be some way that the Gokaidras weren't right there when he's beaten them. Because that, it's, it, obviously they had to live, like, that they're not going to lose in the show. But if there'd just been some way that he thought that they were, like, fully dead. Knock a mountain on top of him or something. Set the forest on fire, leave him in the flames, I don't know. Make it hit just a little bit harder. Because leaving the Power Rangers behind, of course they're going to try and get their shit back. They're on the ground, Joe kind of drags himself to his feet he he wakes up some people he can find and then gets marvelous after a little while everyone is able to wake up marvelous and luca what he asks about basco luca just sadly says sorry he beat us he took her ranger keys aboard the galleon uh navi has found a random knife sticking under the ground underneath the dinner table like it was it was knocked off the table by Sally in the previous episode, just kinda randomly. Like it wasn't on purpose or anything. But still nice shot of just like, oh hey, random knife in floor. They really did leave a knife right next to the monkey that they thought was betraying them. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah, they really did. I mean, I guess they were like I'm pretty sure they were waiting with weapons in case Sally did try to stop them or something. Like maybe they're just waiting to see how it was gonna happen. Uh but yeah, Navi escapes, and so uh Bosco locks up the galleon. He knows how to use the computer. Uh so it's on full lockdown. He pulls out his trumpet and uses the Gokaiger keys to summon clones of the Pirates and Gokaigers. Because he is a man of style. Fine, Navi, bring her here. So the pirates, they're in an, an abandoned church. Uh, it's a very, it's a very Simple low moment. They're speculating about what the ultimate treasure of the universe is. Now, Harry, Harry, at the beginning of the show, you promised to me the ultimate power wasn't friendship, right? Yes, and don't worry, it's not just friendship. Okay. It's a thing. I will be pissed off if the ultimate treasure of the universe turns out to be friendship. It isn't. The ultimate treasure of the universe is a real thing. But I mean, thematically it is. But don't worry, it's a real thing. Okay. Uh, Navi pulls a diehard, and she's like hiding in the ship and uh, calling the police. I, I, you're, you're skipping past a good moment. Oh, fine, fine, fine. They're talking about, like, you know, the treasure. Is it, like, a million tons of gold? Like, a planet of gold? Like, a giant gem? What could we even load it into the galleon? But Marvelous just lying there says, I, I don't know what it is. I don't... I'm not sure I even care. Uh, since it's the legendary treasure every pirate wants, but nobody has ever managed to get, getting a hold of something like that is having the universe in your hands. If something like that's really out there, how could I resist? Dreams tend to be the kind of thing that vanish if you think you can't reach them. Just a really great character moment. Then Navi calls and says that she is free in the ship. Uh, Basco's about to win, and she needs their help. We're at point 140, and there's a brief shot of a map. I couldn't look at it, but I'm sure it's just some part of Tokyo or whatever. But Navi is interrupted by the clone of Gokai Red silently stalking under the bridge, and it's a pretty unsettling sight. 
the team gets ready to go and fight Bosco, and Marvelous is uh, trying to, you know, struggle and get up, but Joe forces him to stay there, and Marvelous, to his credit, agrees. For, for a little bit. I mean, Marvelous has super healing, we all know that he's like Wolverine, but even he needs, like, an extra hour of breather. The gang, they go, they see the galleon, it's tied up somewhere, like some valley, and uh, they jump hundreds of feet down and burst through a metal part, after which Doc says, Alright, we've successfully snuck in! <laughs> we now get a wonderful, wonderful uh, scene where all the rangers are fighting their mirrors that are slightly imbued with their uh, personalities. <laughs> Do- Doc, so when Doc's fighting the Doc clone, they are doing their specific poses, and Doc says, Hey, I don't want my hands like I just washed them when I pose. And Luca turns and says, Yeah, you totally do. And Guy says, like, it wasn't on purpose. And even as they're doing this, Doc is unconsciously doing it on his pants. It's pretty funny. Yes, it's a great scene. Navi is captured by Red and uh, taken back to Bosco, where Bosco somehow doesn't realize that the Rangers have infiltrated the ship. And as the bridge slowly uh, fills up with uh, sent- transformed Sentai, he is none the wiser that these are, in fact, the Gokaiger Sentai that have uh, retaken their ship. He's too busy giving some exposition. It should be more important than it actually is, but I mean, this close to the end of the show, it's not like this is a, it's not like this changes the plot or anything. It just turns out that Navi is part of the ultimate treasure, because way back in like episode three, I made a note of mentioning it on the podcast. Uh, Navi doesn't have batteries or a visible power source, and the Gokaiju is like, eh, I don't know, it's it's weird. No, Navi is the door to the greatest treasure in the universe, and like they need Navi to get there. But at this point, the rangers sneak attack Basco. They yell, pirated pirates, don't stand a chance to get the, the genuine article. And Basco, he grits his teeth and says, it's already amazing that you're alive, but to be here in front of me, you have a real knack for making trouble. So he slams him out of the wall directly to a fight quarry, mm-hmm. and it's time for a confrontation. Oh yeah, it's the, it's time, it's time for the final showdown between Basco and the rangers. The red clone, he tries to get in the way, but everybody does a red transformation and takes down immediately. Mm-hmm. So now now Joe has the red key. They do some hits. They get all of their keys into the big, uh, the Gokai Galleon Buster, the bazooka that has a bayonet. And they fire and they're about to finish him, but Basco wins again. <laughs> He's seen this move, so he grabs it, throws it back, and blasts them, and... Because they needed to insert the keys into the bazooka to do it, he grabs the bazooka, and now he has the keys again. <laughs> it's like, great! Mm-hmm. After all that, you know, you're just going to lose and give me your ranger keys again. Okay, bye. But then Marv arrives. There's a scene where he, like, uh, he looks he looks fine when he first shows up. He says, yeah, uh, I'm going to take you down. But then when the camera cuts behind him, you just see, like, a bunch of bullet holes. Mm-hmm. And, like, as it pans and... Uh, Bosco's saying, you think you could put up a fight in your condition? And there's, like, blood dripping down his arm, like they do that close-up of the hand where there's just a red stream. And he goes into fight. Joe throws him the key and he transforms, oh, and... Oh, 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 you're skipping. You're oh. skipping one last thing. Ah, fine. The thing about Akared. Uh, Bosco says, you know, uh, I didn't really betray you. Akared already did. Like, he was from this planet, and he was using the ultimate treasure in the universe as bait to get us to collect the keys for him. When we showed up, he was going to hand them over to the Earthlings without asking for anything in return. I didn't betray you. He did. And Marvelous shrugs and says, like, I don't care. I'm not part of the Red Pirates anymore. 
The greatest treasure is here, and everything needed to get it has been gathered. That's all I need. Anything that keeps us from our dream, no matter who they are, gets blown away. Whether it's you, or the Zangyak, or Akared. Bosco says, yeah, well said. I'm honestly proud of you. Let's move on to the showdown, Marv. Or rather, Marvelous. Like, the, for the last time of the show, he just calls him Marvelous. And this is a brawl, and it's a really fun brawl to see, because these guys know each other so well, they're very evenly matched. Basco, his main thing is that he's fast and very maneuverable, but Marvelous has learned, and he's kind of countering that. He's grabbing him, he's trying to keep him in place, he's locking his legs around his neck and shooting him. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point, Basco loses one of his swords, and Marvelous loses again. And then Marvelous grabs a sword, and almost like he's been learning from someone with a two-sword technique, he fights like that for a while. (laughs) Yes, he has been getting lessons from his boyfriend. And they are incredibly evenly matched, until the point where they are locked up, and Marvelous decides to stab himself in the foot, while also pinning Basco in place. That should keep you from running around. Mm -hmm. Like, I told you, this is the last time I'm settling this now. They have one final attack where Marvelous slices Basco across the throat, and Basco pulls his gun up and shoots Marvelous in the heart. They are both down. But Marvelous had a part of a medallion from Sally's a neck bomb that he had placed over his heart. I, I guess we moved past it, but when Marvelous was lying kind of injured, he remembered Sally, uh, like, in they had like two seconds before the bomb went off, and Sally just very quietly uh, opened up the safe thing on her gut, put the bomb inside of it, closed it, and looked at Marvelous. Mm-hmm. And Marvelous, like, had just a piece of metal left. And he had that over his heart, and it took the bullet. It is dramatic as fuck. And Basco, <laughs> when he sees that, he just sighs, says, like, ah, right then, that's how it'll be. And, by the way, Basco, he's bleeding blue blood everywhere. It's becoming more and more apparent this guy is not even close to human. He laughs, he drops his gun, and he falls to the ground disintegrating. And that's Basco. That is Basco. Damn, that was a good villain, Harry. Everyone runs over. Like the, During this whole fight, the crew was basically just shouting Marvelous every ten seconds when something amazing was happening, which was all the time. <laughs> and so when they come over, they're like, are, are you okay? You can't die. And Marvelous says, don't be stupid. I'm not going to die when I'm about to lay my eyes on the greatest treasure in the universe. And everyone smiles and they're just talking like, hey, they have the character beats. Uh, Joe's happy about it. And Guy is going to make them a nice meal. And they're all happy. And that's the end of this episode. And so next time is a three-parter, right? So we're going to cover the last three parts of the series all in one go. That makes sense. Uh, It is the climax and it's pretty good. Okay. They kind of, yeah, they... They have everything they need for the ultimate treasure, so really the only thing left in the series, Harry, is to access the ultimate treasure and fight the big boss. You'd think so. I would think so. But there's a question, and you don't know what the question is yet, but they gotta find the answer. And it's been one that's been posed over and over in this series. Can you guess? What's the ultimate treasure? Do you have to throw away something in order to get something else? Hmm. 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 Basco had his answer, but do the Gokaijers. They could probably sacrifice Guy. He'd probably be cool with it. 